Get ready to be inspired by the great things happening in rural education. The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas and innovative solutions, will dive into education issues, and will highlight what's working in your rural communities. You will hear from a variety of educators, administrators, professionals, and others who will provide relevant and engaging content in each episode. And now, serving up the scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Sadorf. Thank you, Rural Scoop listeners, for joining me today. I have the privilege of speaking with Julie Bacon. She is from the Arizona School Boards Association, and we're going to be talking a lot about what rural governing boards need to know and do in order to navigate the different complex, unique challenges that present themselves in rural communities. So, Julie, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm very excited to have you. Are you ready to give us the scoop? I sure am. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes. So my name is Julie Bacon, and I'm a leadership development specialist for the Arizona School Boards Association. Um, I'm also a sitting board member in a large uh, Phoenix school district, but I'm not really a city girl. Uh, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania in a very small town. By some Arizona standards, not that small because there were about 2,000 people who lived in the town. But um, for my brother and I, it was a very small town because our dad was a high school teacher. Oh. Yeah, and there was one high school (laughs) and he wasn't the most popular teacher because he was pretty tough. Uh, So we were under a microscope our entire educational careers um, Mm -hmm. when we were there. You know, there were students who loved him and students who hated him and Um, Being Bob Wynn's children uh, made it a little bit tough on us (laughs) growing up. So everybody knew everything about everyone. It just did not matter where you went or who you talked to. So um, I think that gives me uh, some perspective on what rural board members are dealing with. And it's also why I love working uh, with rural school board members so much, because it is such a unique position to be in, in the communities in which they reside. Very much so. That's interesting. I did not know that about you. I'm happy to know that. So tell us, before we get into what you do specifically, tell us about ASBA. What is ASBA and what services do they provide? Well, ASBA is a private, nonprofit, nonpartisan um, organization that is committed to cultivating uh, excellence in locally governed school boards. And we have our members, our school districts. So we have as many school districts as there are in Arizona. That's how many members we have. And um, we provide lots of different um, services, but the big ones are training that we do with school districts. Um, We have conferences, workshops, and a lot of professional development content. Um, We provide policy services for member districts. And we have webinars, we have a superintendent search service, we have an employee handbook service. Um, And I'm a relatively new employee at ASVA. I've been there two and a half years now, but I am the youngest employee, quote unquote, not age wise, but (laughs) (laughs) time with the association wise. Um, And what I'm so thrilled to work for ASBA is all of our employees really are mission driven. And I can remember um, our old executive director saying that and me thinking, what is he talking about? And then when I started working there, I thought, oh, they really are. 
like everyone believes in public education. Everyone believes in locally controlled governing boards. And we want to do everything we can do to help um, boards be as successful as they can be so their students can be as successful as they can be. And, th and that's what we want to see is the best schools in every Arizona community. Because you're right, ultimately it's the students that benefit. Absolutely, <laughs> that's what it's all about. So let's get into the content a little bit. Almost half of the districts in the state are considered rural, which means that you're dealing with a lot of governing board members from rural communities. What does a typical onboarding process, if there is such a thing, uh, look like for these new electees? Well, onboarding newly elected and appointed school board members is, I think, sometimes an afterthought of school districts and um, of boards and of superintendents. And at ASBA, we've been working the past two election cycles to really get everyone thinking about what does it take to onboard a new school board member? Because there is a ton of information that they need to know. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I was putting together an onboarding tool for the association to provide to um, member districts and called my board secretary and said, you know, when I was onboarded 10 years ago, I had a great onboarding program. Can you just send me the outline for that? And she was like, yeah, I, I mean, we just kind of did it. I don't think it's even written down anywhere. <laughs> so we want people to write it down now. <laughs> And so what we've done this year is we've created a, an onboarding tool that will be sent to every Arizona school district, a couple of copies of that. Um, that'll be coming out in, in the next few weeks to um, the districts. And then the other thing that we've done this year is we've changed our new board member orientation uh, program. It used to be it was a one-day program offered once a year in December after the election. So what we are doing now is we are offering it in two parts, part one, part two, on different days. Part one is going to be offered December 2nd and December 11th. Same agenda, but on two different days. So people have a choice of when they can go, because not everyone can go on the same day of the week or um, the same days that we have it. And then we'll have a part two that will be held in March and June. So we want to give them, this is what you need to know right away in December before you take office. And then in March and June, we wanna give them an opportunity to talk about, oh my gosh, what do I do about that? And how do I handle this? Um, so we wanna kind of give them the more refined information that they might not be ready for until that second part of their uh, board service. So we're really excited to be able to provide that and we're, we, we're going to have a whole new rollout of a new board member journey um, is what we're calling it. And we've got lots of different events and educational opportunities for new board members over their first two years of service. So we are doing our part and we wanna help districts do theirs. So anyway, we can help, let us know. So Julie, do you find that there, when you're talking about some of that onboarding information, because there's a lot that they need to know that they probably didn't know that they needed to know before they started getting involved with the process of getting elected. Is the information different when you're looking at a rural school system versus an urban or suburban system? And the reason I'm asking is because as a rural superintendent, there are a lot more responsibilities that I'm in charge of 
whether it's doing it or making sure that I'm monitoring it very closely than there are in a typical larger system in an urban area. Yeah, I think that's one thing that, you know, the the rural superintendent has far more daily responsibilities than the, that of a large superintendent in terms of the operations. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the large district, the superintendent is just, are you doing, you know, someone taking care of this, someone taking care of that. Right. The rural superintendent is in there doing it. I mean, literally. So they could drive a bus one day, they could be a custodian another day. They, you know, there's so many things that they have to do. So I do think it's different for rural and, and urban in different ways. I think one of the things that I would stress the most in terms of onboarding is the board superintendent relationship and understanding whose job is what. Mm -hmm. I think it's the most important thing when you're a rural school board member because, and I've mentioned this in other, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but I think that's the hardest part of being a rural school board member is everyone thinks you should now be in charge of everything. (laughs) <laughs> you become a board member and you're not helping board members understand how to deal with that, um, I think is important. And we just want, we, w- we would love for every new board member when they go to their first meeting in January to feel like, all right, I know what's going to happen here. I-, I have an understanding of what the, the agenda looks like. I have an understanding of my job as I sit down in that seat and participate in your first meeting, because that is a nerve wracking first experience. So we want to at least provide as much information as they need to make it maybe not quite as nerve wracking. So can you talk a little bit more about that, an overview of the functions of the board and its members? I think one of the things that's so hard, and this is true of any anybody who gets elected to a board position, is understanding the roles and responsibilities of the board and the roles and responsibilities of the superintendent because it looks different than it actually is. So just being really clear about how different it will be to be a board member than it was to be a community member Mm. or a parent, or if you were a retired employee of the school district, you know, those, it looks completely different. You know, it's like when you go to a restaurant and you love this restaurant and because the food comes out and everything's organized, but in the kitchen, there's mayhem, right? There's lots of stuff going on that <laughs> right. you're not seeing. And that's the exact same thing that happens when you come up, become a board member. There's lots going on in the background that you don't know anything about. When you become a board member, you start to learn about, and it looks really different from that perspective. So what are some of the challenges that as you're working with rural governing boards that you're seeing come out of those communities? I think there's a lot of issues around the the human resources issues, you know, the hiring, um, the the, um, concerns and complaints that people might have with employees. I think that lots of board members get on the board and think they have a lot more say in the day-to-day than they actually do. Um, Because what boards do is hire a superintendent to do those things. That's the superintendent's job. I think community members think the board runs the school district, and that's not true either. So um, the board supervises and evaluates one employee. That's it. And that's the superintendent. Mm -hmm. And um, I think in rural community, I hear a lot from rural school board members that there's lots of 
concerns and questions about people that are being hired? And how can the board's, board members intervene if they think someone shouldn't be hired? And that's not really their job. So they really can't do that. Um, so I think it's more important than any other uh, school district, if you're in a rural school district, to understand that piece and then to understand the chain of command and to understand that the board is the last stop in the complaint process and getting involved before that is going to compromise your ability to be involved in any decisions. So um, I always say you have to develop a statement. You have to have it in your head. When someone comes to you and says, I have a concern about you know, the fourth grade teacher, that's when the board member pulls that statement out of their head and says, I'm happy to listen to you, but please know that I cannot get involved and I will refer all of your concerns to the superintendent who will then follow up with you. Or, you know, I will refer it to the superintendent, but I am asking you to go back, talk to the teacher, talk to the principal and do all the things that policy, whatever your policy says, tells, tells us to do. And I think that's a really hard thing to do, especially when you've grown up in a community, you're like third, fourth generation, you know, right. community member. I, I'd have a really hard time with that. And I think it's one of the hardest things that rural members have to do. Do you see anything happening differently with the pandemic? I don't, I, I feel like rural, at least from the, from the interactions that I've had, that rural communities are seem to be a lot calmer around the pandemic. Um, there's not as much division and divisiveness within communities. Um, you know, I, this is my, I've been on this, my board for 10 years and I've never seen anything like this. I mean, mm -hmm. you got parents on one side who, what they say is the absolute truth and you have parents on the other side and what they say is the absolute truth. And one wants schools to open, one thinks schools shouldn't open and it gets ugly. Um, and I think it's maybe easier to control in a, in a smaller environment, but at the same time, you're going to have, you're probably have both of those groups, um, in any community that you're serving. So I'd like to think that it's easier in a, in a small town, but it might not be. <laughs> Depending on the town. Sure. Yeah. So how have you and ASBA been assisting in supporting those rural governing boards? So there's a, a number of things that we're doing. One of the things that uh, Nikki Whaler, who's the, who trains with me at the association, one of the things that we've been talking with rural uh, board members and superintendents about is developing some very specific communication protocols so that the board and the superintendent understand who's doing what and what the process looks like. So, um, and doing that in January, February, right after you see the new board is a, is a perfect time to do that because you're starting with a new team and you want everyone to get off, you know, on the right foot. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I believe in that so much that when, when my district that I serve on got a new superintendent, Nikki came to our study session and did the communication protocols training with us. Um, and interestingly, one of my, one of my fellow board members said to me, I don't know why we need to do this. And we were sitting there talking about it that day. And she said, we've needed this forever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I think that's something um, that, that would help a lot of rural school teams function better. 
Um, we'd done a ton of, last year we did our rural, um, not rural, our county meetings, and we did a power hour town hall in there. And I think that um, the information that we got from that town hall has informed the work of the Arizona Department of Education and their school safety task force. And just, we knew that our rural and remote districts had challenges in terms of school safety. Mm-hmm. What we didn't recognize maybe quite as much is the issues around public safety and mental health services and medical services and infrastructure in terms of roads and you know quality employee pools and how do you have a speech therapist? There's not a speech therapist for a hundred miles. Mm-hmm. You know, what do we do about those things? And so um, we're really trying to focus in on how can we help rural districts spread that message to policymakers in Phoenix because, and Tucson, right? Because you, you're not thinking of those things when you live right. in a metropolitan area. So that's one thing that we um, worked really hard to get that information so that we could be part of the ADE's task force and, and talk very realistically about what rural and remote districts are dealing with because it's totally different. Yes. Um, We also formed a rural alliance. So if you haven't joined the rural alliance and you're a rural school board member, um, that's something we're really excited about. Membership in that is free. Um, And we provide networking opportunities um, and collaborative efforts among leaders of rural and remote districts. Um, We want to make sure that we have rural and remote district board members in the leadership of ASDA, because we feel that's important. Um, And then looking to bring together advocacy uh, around the issues that rural and remote uh, districts are dealing with. And this year, the Alliance is, their priority issue issue is the digital divide and getting greater connectivity to rural and remote school districts. Um, They're working really closely with our government relations team to see how we can affect some change around that. Because the pandemic has shown us with with no reservations that we have a problem with that in Arizona. Have they made any headway? I think, I do think there's a better understanding whether that, you know, kind of translates into any new policies or programs. I think we'll have to wait and see. But I do think it's brought, um, brought it to the forefront in, you know, many ways. And it, you know, the digital divide is significant in rural and remote Arizona, but it also played out in Phoenix. People can't afford it. Um, you know, I talked to a super, one superintendent who said he had in, in the spring, he had a couple of teachers working in their car from the parking lot because they can't afford internet. So they would just sit in their car, they would teach all day, and then they would go home. So it's a huge issue. And, and, Nowhere is it more large and significant than in rural and remote. And we hear that from our colleagues across the nation, um, you know, who work for other state associations. That's been, this has brought the whole thing to just a whole nother level of understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, Julie, it's interesting that you, you mentioned that there really are a lot of commonalities between rural and urban and some of those barriers that they face around any kind of equity that you could think, whether it's digital equity or resource equity or fiscal equity, there's challenges that are in in common with each other. 
I think a lot of what schools need probably isn't that different. It's just there's probably maybe more access in urban areas. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a social worker by education and and um, experience, and I always talk about those wraparound services that schools need. That we <laughs> we have to beg and borrow and steal to get those kinds of services, and um, we need them in Phoenix, but you need them more in rural Arizona. At least we can come up with a partnership, maybe, um, and some way to make something happen. But even if you were to get a grant in rural or remote Arizona, who would fill it? Right. You know, and that's something that we talked about last year during the county meetings. You know, if we wanted an SRO, it would be great, but there aren't any. So mm-hmm. you get the money and then you can't do anything with it. It's just highlighted, I think, in rural Arizona. And then I did want to mention a couple of other things. AZ Ed News is a great publication that um, hi- we've been highlighting the challenges, successes, um, rural schools. And if you go to our Rural Alliance page, there's a list of articles that have to do directly, that are specifically about rural and remote school districts and some of the some of the things that we're trying to highlight about what they're doing and the challenges that they face. So um, we also, the pandemic has taught us that we can do virtual trainings. We are ready to do that. And one of the things I think that stops some smaller and rural districts from having us out is because of the travel costs. Right. And um, those now have gone away. We don't have to do it that way now. You know, it doesn't have to be in person. That's something that we're really excited about being able to offer because we know some smaller school districts, because of financial constraints, don't participate. And we want to offer this as much as we can. Um, we have a training special going on, and we're calling we're calling it Throwback Pricing. And um, if you book your training by October 30th, it's $75 an hour instead of $125 an hour. And we're going to, that'll focus on three different trainings, the board, superintendent, roles and responsibilities, effective meetings, and communication protocols. So we're excited to be able to offer that. It doesn't have to be, um, you don't have to, you have to book it by October 30th, but you don't have to have the training until the end of the school year. That's something we are excited to offer as well. So Julie, one of the issues as we're talking that is sometimes seen in rural areas, in addition to not finding people to fill those open positions, is finding board members to fill those open seats. Mm -hmm. Why would a rural community member want to be on a governing board? Well, that's a great question. (laughs) And given what we've been talking about, You'd have to wonder why would anyone wants to do that? But um, I think that being on a board is a lot like parenting. It's the best job that will give you the most um, rewards, but it's hard. And, and you'll find that it's hard, but if you want to have an impact in the community, if you want to build your community, what better way than to do it than students and educating students? Um, what we've, I think what the pandemic has also shown us, and I hope people finally start to realize, is that schools are really the cornerstone of our communities, mm-hmm. especially in rural communities. Yes. It's where everything happens. And so um, serving on a 
board is a great way to keep the community strong and thriving and making sure that students are getting the best education possible. Um, and you're meeting the needs of each and every student. Um, so if you are really interested in your community, you wanna grow your community and you're committed to servant leadership, that it's the, it's the perfect job for you. I will say as difficult as it's been um, these past six months, it's also incredibly rewarding to see what students accomplish. And, you know, our students are bright and capable and they can, they can conquer the world. We just have to give them the tools. In light of that, do you have any stories that you might be able to tell us that can highlight what rural school board governance looks or sounds like when it's operating at its finest that you'd like to share with us or not? We're not <laughs> operating at its finest. Well, I think we all know those ones that aren't operating at its finest. The, the not operating at its finest is about, you know, getting the role of the board and the superintendent mixed up, mm -hmm. not understanding that. Um, or the board getting too much into the operational issues of the district or trying to intervene and, you know, when parents are having an issue. So I think those are the things that um, not to do. But I think one of the things that ASBA is always committed to is local control. And so local boards being the closest to their community, being elected to serve their community can recognize things that someone like me might not. And it seems like one of the things that, that comes to mind is how a, I think almost every school district on the Navajo Nation has prioritized the Navajo language. That is what a locally elected school board can do. They can figure out what is the community need and how can we make it happen? So that's one example. I think the other thing is a lot of our career technical education districts are really working cooperatively with cities and towns and counties to do workforce development and attracting businesses. And what can we do? What does our community need? What kind of workforce do we need? How do we get skilled work skilled workers graduated and ready to go. Um, so I think those are a couple of things just in terms of, you know, this is what our community wants. And this is what our community needs. And that I think isn't, when school boards do it right, they're addressing the needs of the community. And, and frankly, no one can do it better than a locally elected board. Is there anything that we have not talked about that you would want the listeners to know? I think the one thing that people think when they are talking about running for a school board is, well, I don't know that much about education. Well, you don't really have to because what the beauty of school boards is, there's people from all walks of life on there. Everyone has something unique to contribute. So you don't have to be a teacher to be on a school board. You do have to be committed to student success. You do have to be committed to doing everything you can to help each and every student succeed. But you know, if I, I, you could do anything, right? You could work in a mine, you could be a doctor, you could, you know, I mean, anything. You're going to have something to contribute because your perspective is important because it is the perspective of the people in the community in which you live and live. So don't be afraid to be on the school board because you have something to contribute. Everyone does. And um, I would encourage people to do it. And and become involved, You'll, you, you, you won't regret it. Is there a highlight of being a board member that you could share? 
one of the things that I love is graduation. Um, you know, we, I'm a board member in a unified school district. So I, every year we do graduation, except 2020, we didn't have a graduation, but <laughs> for the most part. And I mean, I can see kids that I've known since they were three walk across the stage and have a high school diploma and have plans for the future, whether it's the military or college or, uh, you know, a technical program. So that, that I think is great. And then I think there's just that sense of you're part of our community. Uh, the, the new um, CEO of the National School Boards Association, I was, we were on a call with her and I said I was from Phoenix and that I was a board member in Paradise Valley. And she said, I'm a graduate of Paradise Valley. And the pride that you feel, I mean, that was, I, I was nowhere around here when that happened, but the pride that you feel when you can see how successful your students are is just immeasurable. It, it's, it's almost like you can't describe it sometimes. And then I, I love teachers. My, both my parents were teachers. My daughter is a teacher. Being able to support and recognize the unbelievable things our teachers do is something that I also really enjoy about being a board member and thanking them. They don't get enough credit for anything they mm. do. And uh, I was on a panel at Paradise Valley Community College the other day, and they said, what's the one thing that we can do to advance education in Arizona? And my answer was, we can regard teaching as the number one profession in the entire world and pay people that way. And that is one way that we will globally, nationally, and in the state advance education because that's what they are, the number one profession in the world. Julie, if anyone wanted to get more information about any of the things that we talked about, how could they get in touch with you? They can email me at jbacon at azsba.org or they can give the office a call at 602-254-1100. Thank you so much for spending time Thank with me you. today. Thanks for having me. Um, and thanks for all the work you're doing in rural Arizona. I'm happy to do it because like you said, the students are the ones that benefit. Yeah, exactly. member of the Podnuga Network.